I'm Rachel Hessian, the creator and host of the Springboard Music Podcast. And this season, you'll be hearing from President, Jesus Culture Music, the Executive Director, a Production Manager, the SVP of Marketing and Digital, Lead YouTube Operations, the CEO at Adarga Entertainment Group, and you're listening to the Springboard, 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 Springboard Music Podcast. So there's something about not giving up too soon, you know, I think on the dream. And I think there's something too about knowing when the dream, maybe the dream that you have is going to look a little bit different than what you thought it was going to look like. If, if I would have had what I wanted, I would have been writing country music. But I think if that had happened, if I'd have gotten what I wanted, it probably would have been the worst thing in the world for me. It would have probably just wrecked me. Jimmy Williams is the president of Jesus Culture Music, but his journey didn't start there. It actually took him 15 years just to land a solid job in the industry. He went back and forth from church work to label work and industry work, and it's really an incredible conversation. This is a great discussion for anyone who's looking to do worship music professionally as a career. Okay, so I want to start at the beginning because currently you are president of Jesus Culture Music, which is huge accomplishment. Congratulations, Thank by you. the way. Um, but I wonder when you were growing up, was that a dream of yours? Like one day I want to be president of a label. <laughs> well, I think like most of us that are in music, we all grew up wanting to be on the creative side of things. And, um, you know, growing up, music was a huge part of my life. And, you know, about high school time, I started playing instruments and started writing songs and I just fell in love with music at a, at a really deep level. And uh, I was in when I was in college, I was in a couple of bands in college. They were like cover bands, like doing the stupidest gigs in the world, <laughs> you know, and um, but just really played a lot just as a musician through college. And then I went to college for music business. And so when I graduated, I mean, the dream at that point was to do something in country music. I mean, I was right outside of Nashville. I love country music. And um, I graduated college in 1989, which during that time, country music was just kind of in a weird spot. Like it wasn't thriving like it is today. And Nashville was struggling, honestly. I mean, everything was about LA and New York and there wasn't a lot of jobs in music at that time. And so- That's so hard to imagine now. I know, I know. Wow. I, I dream about it now. It's like, man, if I could have graduated in today's music world, it would have been so much better. Wow. But it was tough. And so, you know, I did some internships and then nothing came out of that and, and ended up in- retail for like four years out of college, which was not where I wanted to be. It was kind of, I didn't like it really. And, you know, it was, it paid the bills, made a living. What did you do? Like, where did you work? It was, so I managed back when there was these things called record stores. <laughs> <laughs> they had these, these vinyl discs, right? <laughs> Something like this maybe? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it was right around the time where like, CDs had just come onto the market. And so the retail side of music was doing really good. Tower Records was like killing it. 
And so right out of college, I um, went to work managing a record store for a couple of years. And um, and it was it was pretty good. I mean, it was cool. I mean, we got to, you know, they would come in back in the day. The artists would come in and the labels would do these huge showcases for like all the retailers. And they would bring all the artists. They would take us to these exotic places, you know, to workation and like showcase all their new music. And so it was fun. Um, but it was, you know, it wasn't really where I wanted to be. And so I did a couple of years of that, then ended up managing electronic store for like two years, which I disliked that even more than I didn't like the retail side of things. And so my first real job in the music industry was actually in sales because all my experience up to that point had just been sales. Yeah. Right. I'd been in retail sales. And so I had a degree in music business, but you know, I didn't have like a ton of connections in the creative world. And so my first job was with a, a small mom and pop label called Brentwood Music. It was uh, Jim Van Hook's label. It was a family run label. And uh, there wasn't a lot of super cool music. They made all their money off of these instrumental <laughs> records that they would make. And they would sell them in, they would sell them in like these gift stores and Christian bookstores, like all over. No. I remember listening to that kind of stuff, like going into the Hallmark store yes. and there would be a little box with little CD covers That's with right. buttons underneath and you would put on, I mean, now thinking about it, like how many people put on those big headphones before I did? That's disgusting. <laughs> but I would put on those big headphones and just be clicking through the little previews of all the instrumental music. That's right. That was like the best. I'm impressed. Like that, most of the time people have no clue of like what, what that was, but you're right. It was That's like. That's where you would find me. When my parents were shopping, I was over there. <laughs> well, and they did these instrumental recordings. Like uh, the biggest line they had was called Smoky Mountain Music. It was this all instrumental music. They sold it in these gift shops. And so I was actually selling to these gift stores in Gatlinburg, you know, Maggie Valley, North Carolina, just ba basically like touristy spots. Totally. And so um, it was all phone sales. It was, it was super hard. You know, you, it was like everything you can imagine about telephone sales. You know, you call and, you know, just all day long, you're on the phone with people and half the time they don't need anything. And, and so, but I, I did that for a couple of years. Really, I was just, I had my eye on other things in the company, but I was like, man, like, I'm just, I just got to put in my time <laughs> until there's an opportunity. So I stuck with it. And then um, an opportunity came open in um, licensing and royalties there. So Brentwood Music was like super small. Like they were all self-contained. They did their own distribution. They did their own marketing. Like there was no connection to a major music company, wow. anything like that. And so uh, it was super small. And then something really cool started to happen. They ended up doing a partnership with a guy named Robert Beeson, who owned a small label called Essential Records. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about that was he had this brand new artist that they had just started working with called Jars of Clay. And all of a sudden, our little music company that did Smoky Mountain music, oh <laughs> it was all gosh. this like super not cool music. All of a sudden, we had this partnership and we had basically the, the hottest new Christian band that had you know been in the last five years. What was that transition like to be a part of? It was amazing. And, you know, we were kind of figuring it all out. You know, I don't 
at the time, of course, when you sign a new artist, you think it's something really special, but you don't really know until you get into it. And so, you know, it was, the company was very separated. Like if you were in the like licensing royalties, you didn't have a whole lot of interaction with like the creative A&R parts of the building or publishing parts of the building. And so it was kind of very separate, even though it was a really small company, it was very separate. And so, but we all were excited because it was like, wow, like this is a cool artist, you know, and this is why I wanted to get into music and, and all of that. And so that was right at the beginning of like these massive changes for the company. They ended up, Jim Van Hook ended up selling the company to a company out of New York called Zamba, which was a major uh, mainstream label out of New York. And Zamba, which had a connection to BMG, um, I can't remember, I don't know if they were owned by it or they had a partnership, but anyway, they kind of went on a buying spree for Christian music and bought Brentwood Music. Then they bought Reunion Records, which was Michael W. Smith's label, had all the West King um, recordings were on there and, and um, Rich Mullins and on all those guys. It was just, you know, it was a really cool art Christian artist label. And then eventually they bought Benson Records, which was the oldest at the time. It was like the oldest Christian music publisher in America. Wow. And they created Provident Music Group. So I was there for the eight years I was at Brentwood Music, then to Provident Music. All of these transitions happened and it went from this really small, not cool mom and pop thing to like, wow, this is like a major player. Now we're actually a competitor with, you know, with Word Music and with Sparrow wow. and, you know, and all these cool things. And not to mention what, you know, Jars of Clay went on to have massive success, a mainstream crossover success. and you know, it was just a really, it was a cool time. And I think at the time, Christian music was trying to figure out how to operate in this new space. You know, these crossover artists being yeah. owned by now by a mainstream company was very different than what we had experienced up to that point and um, brought a whole new set of challenges. And so it was, it was an interesting time where there was, there was a lot of growth, but it was also to me, it felt like it was a little bit of kind of a weird time where Christian music was trying to figure out like, you know, what's our mission? Like, what are we really about? Are we, are we chasing, you know, do we all want to be Michael W. Smith and have crossed over success or jars of clay? Or are we just really wanting to serve the church? And so um, I was there during kind of that transition, ended up leaving there. Um, and this would probably been around 2000, three I ended up leaving there i was leading worship at my church I had a buddy that was going to plant a church and so i went with him and for three years was involved with church ministry so i stepped out of the music industry and kind of left all of that behind for a minute i want to ask you about that because that's i think that that's an interesting transition when you went to college and you grew up and you're like, I want to work in the music industry. I want to do it. And you did it for about eight years and then you leave. Did you feel like you were kind of cheating yourself? Like that was, or did you feel accomplished? Like, you know what? I did it on to the next thing. Or were you like, man, it was really short lived. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, a couple of things happened during that period. You know, when I first started work in the music industry, I was also had sort of this side hustle where I was, I really wanted to write songs. I mean, that was sort of my dream is I wanted to be a songwriter. 
So while I'm selling Smoky Mountain music, I was spending every night, you know, in the craziest like writer rooms with anybody that would want to write country music and, you know, going to showcases and trying to pitch songs and just doing it on your own. And I did that, worked really hard at that for probably three years. And I remember there was a point where I came home and I told my wife, I said, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. You know, I just, it was just kind of hit that place. And it was a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a dying of a dream. You know, it's like when you get to that point where it's like, okay, this is kind of what I wanted, but I don't think it's going to happen. And, you know, you have to kind of go through a process of sort of getting over that. You know, what happened at the same time that was dying, I had really reconnected with the church. Up until that point, I was, we were sort of in and out of church, but we weren't like super connected. And we had reconnected to a church and got really involved. And I, part of that process is I went to an event. Our church was taking a bunch of guys to this event in Memphis called Promise Keepers. And so I went with this group of guys and at the Liberty Bowl, there's like, tens of thousands of guys there and we're all singing, you know, at the top of our lungs, you know, hymns. Yes. But also this new music that was coming out of California um, from Maranatha and, and, and integrity. And, and I was just blown away. Like, you know, for me, I'd never experienced anything like that. Didn't even know that it existed. And I came back from that event, like, with like a whole new like vision for like, wow, it's like, man, like these guys were actually in a band and they were singing worship songs and it was powerful and it was passionate and, um, and it really resonated with me. So when it came to the point where to plant the church, I was actually already just, just on fire for that. You know, I was yeah. wanting to do ministry so badly. I was, you know, I was thinking like, do I just quit? The music business and I do I need to just try to make it as like an artist or like as a songwriter you know and I just wanted to to do that so badly and so the transition from the music company to the church was actually really easy for me because I was just I was just hungry and on fire to do something uh, for God and well it sounds like you had a new dream it was for sure for sure and I had like you know, there was a lot of cool things happening in worship music at that point. Like, you know, the UK explosion had happened and these new songs from Stuart Townend and Matt Redman and Paul Oakley and all these things were flooding into the U.S. And um, there was just a lot of really cool things happening in worship. And I remember going to a... a one of the first worship together conferences, which is really funny, is before I ever worked for EMI or Capital. Wait, so you didn't start worship together? No, I didn't. It was already gone. You've always been the face in my mind. We're gonna have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like 17 years, but like they, they started even before that. There was a you know, there was a group of people. Craig Dunnigan was part of that. Um, Steve Rice, there was Casey McGinty was there during that time. But they started this platform to find, figure out a way to get this new music into people's hands. You know, bookstores weren't carrying a lot of it. And it was this fresh worship music. And I remember going to this conference in, in 99 at the People's Church, what used to be the People's Church in Franklin, now Church of the City. And I remember being in a room with like 1,200 worship leaders and all these 
these English worship leaders leading us in worship and playing all these brand new songs and stuff like that. And it was all this fresh, um, fresh sounds and vineyard was happening and, um, and all these, you know, it's just very exciting. And I just remember like, I was like, man, this is so amazing. Like if I could do nothing else, like the rest of my life, but be involved with this, that would be just like heaven, wow. you know? Wow. And it was probably like one of the first times you experienced it feeling global. Yes. Right. Like a, very international. Yeah. Because these folks were like nobody you'd ever heard of before, but they were these passionate worship leaders who were from Ireland and they were from Oxford in the UK and they were from South Africa. And you got a sense of like, wow, there's something really special happening here. And it's not happening in the U.S. It's actually coming into the U.S. from these other places, which was really unique, really the first time, you know, since I guess way back in the hymns days where they were writing hymns in UK and Europe and those were coming to America. Well, now worship, modern worship was coming to America. And so it was a really exciting, exciting time. And so when the, when the church began to, you know, I kind of, the three years I was there playing the church, it had sort of wrapped up and I was starting to kind of look job wise. And that was the first time I actually came to what was then EMI. Um, I came into the admin department there. All my experience at that point had been licensing and PRO stuff and administrative. And uh, I didn't necessarily love it, but I was pretty good at it. You know, I was detail oriented enough to do it. And, um, but I got my foot in the door doing admin. And I, you know, I always tell if there's anybody that's, that's listening along, that's, you know, maybe you're trying to get to that position that you wanted or your dream, you know, I think being patient is just, nobody really wants to hear that. And it's not easy to do, but you know, I, I thought about it the other day from the time that I graduated college in 1989 until I actually got the first job where it's like, this is okay. This is actually something that I feel like that I really, really wanted to do and, and was exciting to me. I mean, it took about 15 years to wow. get. And, you know, I, you know, as we, you know, you and I know, like when we work at a big company, there's so many young people coming in and, you know, it's, you'll sit down, do it like a, a 12 month review after somebody comes in and they're like, man, I just don't feel like I'm moving. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, well, Hey, like you just started. <laughs> yeah. So there's something about not giving up too soon, you know, I think on the dream. Um, and I think there's something too about um, knowing when the dream maybe the dream that you have is going to look a little bit different than what you thought it was going to look like. Um, there's definitely that sort of thing. If, if I would have had what I wanted, I would have been writing country music. But I think if that had happened, if I'd have gotten what I wanted, it probably would have been the worst thing in the world for me. It would have wow. probably just wrecked me and I wasn't ready for that. And so through this process, you know, it's like, okay, God was like, okay, I'm going to take that desire out of your heart. And I'm going to put the desire in there that looks very similar to what the original desire was, but it's a little bit different. Like it's something that will actually bring you life and not destroy you. I want to ask you a little bit too, when you say you come in and you came in in an admin role, was that 
it's hard sometimes, but on paper, was that a step down from what you were doing at Benson before you left? It was a little bit of a step down, I guess. Brentwood Music, and even when I left Provident, was a pretty small operation. And so when I left there, I was I was actually managing the royalty department for publishing. And so I was paying all the songwriters, paying all of the, you know, they had a full uh, print music publication operation as well. So I was paying all their arrangers, all the writers, all the third-party writers, third-party publishers. And so um, I had a, a large oversight and, you know, and had, you know, lots of you know, several staff kind of under me making all this happen. So, yeah, when I came into to EMI, like I didn't have any direct reports. Um, I was doing a little bit more of a narrow scope because it was a bigger company and a bigger operation. And so I was doing more specifically like, you know, film and TV, licensing, clearances, PRO work, that sort of thing. And so um, it was a, just a different environment. But, yeah, it, 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 it wasn't really a step up. It was. And I think at the time I, I realized it's like, okay, I've been out in ministry for three years. I'm coming back in, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to have to come in where it fits and where the opportunity is. And then once I'm in, you know, we'll, you know, work hard to try to, to make that happen. It is always better to have a body in the door. I don't care what job you take, just for have sure. a body in the door of the company. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be able to get in and, and sell yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, working hard, being relational, um, being smart, being proactive. I think that's the thing that um, I've always, you know, tried to do is is to be proactive, look at things a different way, you know, and say, is this the best way to do this? We can do this easier. We can do it faster. We can do it more, less expensively. And so I think those type of things, but you're right, getting in the door is always you know, even if it's not the perfect opportunity. And I've I've hired so many people through the years that, you know, coming in, like everybody has a big dream about like, hey, I want to work with artists or I want to work with songwriters. And it's like, well, here's the opportunity. It's about a step away from that or two steps away from that. But if you come in, get your foot in the door and you're, you, fit, you fit well, you work hard, those opportunities will, will open up either here or they'll open up somewhere else, you know, in another organization. And I've seen time and time again, that happen. And even when I left Capital, you know, it's been almost a year now since I left to go with Jesus Culture. The people that I had hired while I was there, me stepping out, they had this great opportunity, you know, to step in. And so what they had really been working toward for three years, maybe four years, starting to get a little bit discouraged with, all of a sudden those things opened up because they were patient and they continued to work hard at it, you know, and then there were some people that along the way that um, they had other opportunities open up in other companies and, you know, really wrestled with like, do I stay here? Or do I go and take this other opportunity? And sometimes it is better, you know, to take an opportunity with another company if, if it's the right opportunity and, you know, you're, you're accomplishing or stepping to that next level and you don't think you'll have the opportunity to do that anytime soon where you're at. There's, there's no shame in that, you know, that's, that's part of the, of the business world. So, um, but yeah, it was me coming in the capital at the time was, um, or what with them was EMI Christian music publishing, which just felt kind of a lateral move. Yeah. So when you came in and you did that, how did you 
What was the path over the 17 years? Because you ended your time in a VP role and you were really the face of Worship Together, which is so full circle that you had attended the conference at People's Church. (laughs) And then it's like, you're the one greeting everybody at the conference years later. What What were those 17 years like? Yeah, I mean, it was... It was wild and fun, you know. I mean, <clears throat> the cool thing for me is, is you know, because I've been involved with church music already, you know, several years. I was a worship leader, so for me to come on. So what happened was I was at EMI for two years doing the admin, and the church I was at asked me if I would take a year and actually help them start. They were starting a new campus, and um. At the time, I thought it's like, man, maybe I, sh- I should go back into the church. I thought maybe it would last longer than it did, but it was really just a year. I mean, I left EMI, went and did, left on really good terms, you know, and made sure all my bosses knew why I was doing it and all of that. Communicated really well, gave plenty of notice, all of that. It's so important to do all of that and not just jump to the next opportunity and be like, bye, you're just a job. You're just a company yeah. in this business. It's not. No. It is your ticket to your next opportunity potentially because you might come running back. <laughs> Never burn a bridge in the music. Never burn a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and I left everything really well. Like I made sure everything was like really organized. I even spent some time after I left coming back and doing some training and stuff like that for the person who had stepped in. So I really tried to do it right. And they were super gracious with me as well. So we left on really, really good terms. And I'd only been at the church for about a year and I got a call from Eddie DeGarmo, who was running publishing at the time. And uh, the um, the girl that was running Worship Together was leaving. And so Eddie's first thought was like, hey, I wonder if Jimmy would come back and run this. And I didn't think at the time, Eddie called me. He's like, man, what a great opportunity. I mean, Worship Together is so special to me. It had a big part of my life. You know, even as a young worship leader, I said, I don't know that you know, I don't know that what I'm supposed to be doing here is finished yet, but let me take some time to think about it, pray about it. I'll talk to um, my bosses here. So I actually ran it up through the church and just went to, um, I went to my boss, went to the executive pastor and said, hey, here's the opportunity. Like, I don't really know how to feel about this. And it was, it was crazy. I was expecting them to come back like, no, 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 don't leave, don't leave. And, but it was unanimous. It's like, hey man, this is so who you are. Wow. Like you can't not do this. They were really, really, it was really good advice. And so I ended up, you know, even only been at the church for about a year, I ended up going back uh, to EMI as running worship together. And at the time worship together was in my mind, it was like super, it was already a legacy brand because mm-hmm. it just had such a big impact on me. Um, all this new music that I was enjoying and loving and singing in church was all coming through worship together. And so, um, I was bought in, like I was a huge fan already. And, um, which I think was cool because like, you know, I came in knowing I knew the brand, I knew what it was about and knew why it existed. And, um, right as I came back, there was another employee there named David Gudikins who had just started. He was a marketing guy. I was more like, like a creative kind of like worship pastor guy. But he was a musician as well. And so he and I were the only two Worship Together employees at the time. No way. Yeah. Wait, so when they asked you to come back, because you left in an admin role. So when they asked you to come back, it wasn't right away VP, was it? 
No, it was, I came back as a manager, I believe. Okay. Manager yeah. of worship together. Yep. And okay. um, I think David was like, like a coordinator or something like that. I don't know what the titles <laughs> were, but I mean, he and I were just like, you know, we developed a friendship really quickly. We both grew up in the church. We were both worship leaders. Um, and so we just jumped in and the cool thing about it at the time was, you know, Eddie DeGarmo was an, at the heart, his heart was an entrepreneur. He had, he had started Forefront Records on his own. He was an artist before that. He was just an entrepreneur. And so when you had an idea with Eddie, if you just went and said, Eddie, here's the idea, here's what it's going to cost. Here's what I think we can accomplish. Almost 99% of the time, Eddie would be like, go do it. Go That's do it. amazing. And it was very, like there were no committees, like no meetings. Like, you know, uh, it was very much like fast moving, quick, like, and, and the cool thing with that is that we could just experiment with stuff, you know? Yeah. And, so, and so David and I just began to dream about like, every time we'd be on, like, go to a worship conference or whatever, we would be taking notes. It's like, man, like if we did a conference, like, what would it be like? You know, what would it, how would it be different? Or talking to worship teams, you know, it's like, here's what people really need. Like, here's the things they're asking for. What if we made the site do this? Or what if we, you know, what if we had audio that you could play right there on the site? Because at the time you couldn't do that. You know, wow. and what would what would the copyright laws be around that? Would we get shut down? <laughs> you know, all of that. That's so fun. You're just like two dudes who are like passionate about yeah. a sector of Christian music, about worship music and the church. And you're like, okay, we are actively participating in this. We are the consumer. Yeah. What would we like to see? And then you have the like you have the empowerment to do it. Right. We had the empowerment. We had the support of leadership. And because David and I were both like, we would go every Sunday, we would go back to our churches and we would, we would do these new songs or we would do be looking for something online and couldn't find it. And we would come back on Monday and basically unload. We, we basically, every Monday was like, Hey, what worked yesterday in church? Wow. You know? And so yeah. you talk about songs, you talk about like, you know, like, man, like my band is like, you know, they need charts. Like, where can we, how can we get them charts? Like, who do we need to partner with? So it was very much like us programming worship together to be what we needed it to be. So it felt, it felt like an extension. I don't know, it almost didn't feel like it was a job. It felt like it was a sort of an extension of like our, just kind of how we lived and like the ministries we were involved with. But it was really a special time. There was a lot of um, publishing at the time at EMI was was smaller. You know, there's probably 14 people there, 13, 14 people, 15 maybe. But it was super family oriented. It was very close. It was a great team. There's people, everyone who was in that office at that time is still working in Christian music in some capacity. <laughs> and they were all. That's they, crazy. There are a lot of different companies, but they're all have gone on to do like amazing things. It was a really special time. And we got to be a part of that. And, you know, during that time with some really amazing music released, you know, I remember, um, you know, see the morning from, um, we're actually arriving by Tomlin. We first got the mm -hmm. masters on that. We're listening to songs and, you know, we heard indescribable and we heard how great is our God and, and your grace is enough. And we're like, man, this is, this is so good. Like these songs are going to be amazing. So it was just a special time. And, and, 
it was really a dream job for me uh, just because I was so passionate about it. I loved everything that we were doing and you get up, I'd get up every morning, I'd go to work and I'd be like, God, thank you that I get to go do something that one, I enjoy. I feel like I'm really adding value to what people need and what they want. I feel like I'm helping to resource the church. I feel like I'm helping build the church. And so um, for seven, almost, you know, 17 years was including the two years in admin. So for really the last 15 years, um, David and I were pretty much partners the whole way through of just, you know, what else can we do? You know, what else can we do that's impactful? You know, what if we did videos this way? What if we did interviews this way? You know, what if we bought, brought church people from all over together to write songs together? You know, these are all things that were just sort of an outflow of like our heart and what we wanted to see happening in the church. And it was just a super, super exciting time. It's incredible just to think about. And for anybody who's listening and doesn't know what Worship Together is, and they're doing a quick Google while they're listening, Worship Together, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong. But from my understanding, it's a resource that for church leaders, for for worship leaders to go and find chords, to find popular songs, to basically be resourced for that worship time in their church. There's so much more than that that I'm missing. So please add to it. No, I mean, at the core, that's really what it was. And, you know, when, when Worship Together first launched with that, that team that launched it, it was really revolutionary. And they were giving away chord charts before people were given away chord charts, you know, they'd have a free song of the week. And, um, and it was a place to go discover music where, you know, this was kind of prior to YouTube. This is prior to iTunes. And so you couldn't just go find new music, you know, online, like you can today. It was really a special, you know, way to kind of get music into people's, you know, inbox through an email, you know, and then they could go to the website and they could, could browse through all this music they could order physical product and have it delivered so it went through so much change from those early days where the music business was still very much kind of like shipping physical product you know itunes started which was kind of the first digital transition all the way through to now where we're in the streaming world it really shifted a lot of you know of the strategy around what worship together was trying to do and what we were trying to accomplish and the tools that we had to work with, you know, once, once YouTube was established, then it's like, wow, that's amazing discovery platform. We had to put more content there. We used to host all of our videos on the worship together site. Oh, wow. So you had, I mean, there was no discovery really. Right. Like you had to know what you were searching for. That's right. So we would load up all of our videos were hosted on our site. We paid a ton of money to stream videos directly from our website to people. And then, you know, we made, you know, one year we made the strategic decision. It's like, you know what? The audience is at YouTube. That's where everybody's going to discover this. So we have to basically we're moving all of our content off of our servers onto the YouTube platform. And it was a big, you know, it was a major, you know, change. But that's the way music has been. The strategies had to, to shift. But really the heart of where worship together is today is was the same as it was back when it was started. It was really like, how can we put resources in the hands of worship teams, make it easier for people to find songs, make it easier for them to find the tools that they need to lead those songs on a Sunday and helping that discovery process. So 
you know, what I handed off a year ago to our the team there at, at Capital um, was very much, in essence, still the heart of what was started when the platform began. So now you're the president of Jesus Culture Music, which is a label of, if anybody knows, you know, Kim Walker Smith, Holy Spirit, like you are probably singing that song <laughs> in church or know that song. And if you don't Google it, you probably do so many other songs. Um, I mean, please list them all. Yes. And amen. I think was kind of was Chris McClarney. Yeah. Um, how he loves set a fire, crazy, crazy, incredible worship song. So now you're the president of that label, which is not all creativity. So what has been a couple, what are a couple surprises that you're like, wow, being label president, I did not realize X. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I th you know, one of the things I knew from Capital was that all of the leaders that I learned under, there was always like a pastoral side of what they did. And, you know, Eddie was that way. Um, Eddie DeGarmo was that way. Uh, it could be very pastoral. Because a lot of the, in, when you're in creative work, you know, a lot of the conversations you're having is it's not really so much about the nuts and bolts of like, how do you get something recorded? You know, how do you get it distributed? What's the best marketing? I mean, those are all things that conversations that do happen. But a lot of times the conversations are, you know, you know, what's your dream? You know, like what's what's God put on your heart? Like, what are the things that are are holding you back right now? You know, what's going great in your life? What could be better? Those are the questions I think. You know that I saw leaders that I grew up under were were really good at that. You know, when when an artist would have a crisis in their life, a lot of times they would pick up the phone and call. You know, they call Eddie DeGarmo, they call Peter York, you know, or they call Bill Hearn. And those were trusted people in their lives, you know, and not just from a business trust, but these were, these were personal relationships. And so, you know, that's the piece, I think, you know, even stepping in with Jesus Culture, who is, you know, it's, it's a church-based label, um, but it's been through a lot of transition. COVID, you know, was really, uh, was really hard on churches in California <laughs> at the time. But they went through a real transition and, you know, there's artists that are always coming in and then they're moving on to other things. And, you know, I find myself a lot of times doing more of that work sometimes than I do really the strategy or the implementation of the business side. If you don't have trust with your artists and your writers, um, then you're not going to be able to execute and do the business that you want to do. And if they're not healthy, if they're not thriving, they don't feel, you know, like there's opportunity or they don't feel cared for. So those are all things that now I feel like I'm stepping into. I've seen it modeled for me through the years from a lot of great leaders. And now I've now stepped into that role, I think, for a lot of, of artists and, and writers and young people that have, you know, they just have dreams, and but they have questions and they have disappointments and they have frustrations. And, you know, and so being able to talk that out with them and be able to understand where they're coming from and, and help them to work through that is I love that. It's, it's, I value that. It's, it's something that I really enjoy, but that's probably something that I, you know, in the corporate world, you're not going to run into that as much as I think that you would in the music business where you're, you know, you're really working with people that, um, you know, creativity, making music is such a personal thing, especially 
Christian music, especially worship music, these are all very, you know, very uh, personal a lot of times, and they're very um, just impacting in a really deep way for people. And so, you know, they need to process through things that they're feeling sometimes, things that are going on with their family. And, and so I've, I've done a lot of that. I am curious what you would say with all your experience, worship leading, being at churches, worship together, and now at Jesus Culture, you've surrounded yourself, your whole career around worship leaders. I've encountered several worship leaders who have started to write and have found that they want to get more connected in that world and like they might have something to say for the church. What advice would you give to them on like how to go about it? Because you don't want to be self-elevating, but you want to do it as a career and you want to participate in the greater movement. Mm. What would you say to that? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, the first thing I would say is like always stay connected to your local church. You know, it's the, you know, oftentimes it's the reason that you begin to write those songs is because something is happening in your local church. God's moving there. You're being inspired there. You're being cared for there. Your family's connected there. And the music begins to be an outflow of all of that activity. And it's unfortunate sometimes for an artist to, when they chase music, to leave the church piece behind and begin to chase it on the business side. And they become a little bit disconnected from the local church life. And then they'll have questions of like, well, wow, why isn't my music connecting the way that it used to? It's like, well, you're not connected the way that you used to be. Wow. So I would, the first thing I would say is like, never lose sight of your local church. You know, even if you, you know, if you need to pick up and you feel like God's opening doors to move to Nashville, you can do that. And and sometimes that's a really good thing. But the first thing you need to do when you get to Nashville is you need to connect to a local church and you need to serve that church. You know, I think uh, it's, it's not enough to just go and sort of park yourself there and be, you know, a recipient of what's happening. You really need to contribute because it just keeps you centered and settled. You know, I always tell, you know, an artist, it's like, you know what, when you play in the difference between playing in church and on like a tour night is that when you get up on Sunday morning, nobody's going to hand you your guitar. It's already tuned. And, uh, you know, and you're, you know, your mocha latte or whatever, you, your coffee drink that 100%. you want. <laughs> 100%. You're going to have 100%. You got to. are not going to have your RX bars back there. <laughs> there's there's no like fully stocked green room usually, you know, and you're going to have to play with musicians that are learning. You know, you're not going to get a pro band every time, but there's something really great about that. I think there's, there's something special about it. It keeps you grounded in uh, the life where most worship pastors, most worship leaders live on a on a weekly basis. And I think if you can understand that space and appreciate that space and be involved in that space, it just gives you a further insight into how to write for, how to resource that space. So, um, you know, from a practical standpoint or from spiritual, I would say stay connected to your local church, you know, and I would, and then the second thing I would say is just be as, as, prolific as you can write as much as you can write write with as many people that will write with you and you know you can't just write five songs and be like hey here's what i've done you know and the first five songs i wrote but like you know here's my songs can you do anything with them 
you know, it's, it's going to be like, Hey, write 50 songs, write 60 songs, write a hundred songs. And, um, you know, that's part of the process of just getting better and God's using all of that process to, to make you better. And so just hard work, you know, as, as you get into it. And then when you've got something that's great, taking that into the nice thing about being involved with in local church is that if you feel like you got something really special, you can take that into your people on Sunday and actually share it with them. And you can find out real time whether this song is special or not. You know, if you think oh, it's yeah. awesome and everyone else is staring at you like during the headlights, <laughs> like I don't understand this melody and you're singing it way too high and I can't follow you, then that's instant feedback that you get right then versus you going to the studio, spending thousands of dollars recording a track or a great demo. And then you're expecting people to connect with that in churches to sing it. You know, when you could have actually taken it into your own church and made a few tweaks to that song that would have made it better. So I think, you know, use the opportunities, use the the church that you're involved with as a way to, to try out your songs, you know, and, you know, Usually you'll 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 be able to work with the and, and fill out the pastors like are they cool with you you know like like hey pastor here's the song I wrote what do you think about it maybe the pastor says eh, I don't know maybe work on a little bit more or the pastor may say hey I love it once you bring it in Sunday so doing it all within the scope of like your your church leadership but it's such a valuable tool and I'm such a proponent for the local church and I don't want the worship industry to exist outside of the local church. It's not a, it's not an industry that, that tacks onto the church or that, you know, operates outside and, and the church isn't a mark, a target market. The church is the bride and the worship industry is made up of people who should be all connected to and serving the bride. And so when it happens that way, it's beautiful and it's amazing and it all kind of flows together and works. But when you try to build something that's sort of an industry or a business strategy that's outside of what's happening in the local church, it always feels a little bit off and it's not, it doesn't always connect or hit the market the way that you would expect it to. I didn't know what answer I was expecting from asking that question, but I am blown away and I'm so glad that I did because that those were incredible three pieces of advice and like you have to be nurtured and your family has to be nurtured in pursuance of that. And I love your, your point of we can't make worship an industry, right? Like that's kind of like it is, but it's kind of dangerous without the church. Those were my words. I'm not putting them in your mouth, but that's how I, I, that's how I took it is like, you should not, it, it needs to be in tandem for the greater glory of the Lord um, and not for the greater glory of a business or an industry. I'm curious. We talked about how you used to play in cover bands in college and <laughs> going all the way to the beginning, cover bands in college, trying to write country music. Now president of Jesus culture music. Would you say you're living the dream? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be able to be involved with music that really has um, a lasting impact on people is amazing. And I think a lot of music can do that. I mean, pop music can do that in really any any genre. But 
for me, you know, just worship music, I've been in the room so many times and I've seen what happens. There's something, there's something that's really hard to kind of explain, you know, and experience with that. And so being a part of that, like I think back, I mean, I had a lot of fun, you know, playing in bands and stuff like that. The cool thing for me is that I still, you know, I'm 56 years old. I still play in my church band almost every well, week. <laughs> I was going to say, I see a keyboard, I see three guitars. So I'm like, yeah, you're definitely still playing or musical. And you know what? It's like, there's a lot of other things I could do besides get up at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning and go and spend six hours at church and two services. But it's good for me. It's good for my soul. And I'll do it until they tell me it's like, hey, man, I think you're, I think you're aging out here. <laughs> But it's it's so life giving to me and being able to work in an industry that actually makes those things happen is even more special because I get to see the beginning of the song, the recording of the song, but also get to see it in a local church where the song comes in and it impacts and it, and it creates um, just an, an incredible space inside of a church. And to be able to witness that from the beginning all the way through to like the end result of that is special. And I don't know that, you know, I think an artist gets to experience that song where they write a song, but then they take it out on tour and they see what happens when they, when they sing that song. Um, it's similar for me. And so, you know, looking back, I wouldn't change anything with the journey because I learned so much through everything. I mean, the cover bands are great. I mean, I learned so much just through being in a cover band. If, yeah. Like what I don't want to do, you know, but. Well, and it probably gave you like being in a cover band and doing right. It gave you empathy and and perspective for sure. the artists that you were going to work with down the road. Yeah. I mean, I learned how it was like to go in and spend, you know, four or five hours in a writing session and then to walk out and realize that nobody's ever going to hear that song, you know? And so I understand that creative piece of the creative and I wouldn't change any of that, you know, and I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did, you know, and just to be able to be on this end of it and to be able to take experience and be able to share that with young writers, young artists that are exploring this and not to alter their path, but to at least give them information like, Hey, you know, here's some things to, to focus on. Here's some things to be aware of. You know, when you're feeling like this, you know, it, it's it's not always bad, you know. So um, that experience has been, you know, and of course, I mean, we know, you and I know, it's just like God uses everything together for good. And so he's used all these little experiences in a, in a, and he's redeemed those in a positive way, you know, to be able to serve the church, serve the kingdom in a more effective way. And so for that, I'm grateful. I wouldn't change anything. I've had such an incredible opportunity. I'm excited about the future and what we're doing with Jesus culture. Um, but I'm so grateful also just for all of the people that I've got to work with and the leaders that I've got to work under and learn so well from. Um, and I'm grateful now to be able to, again, pass that down a little bit more to this next phase of leaders that are rising up. Thanks for listening to the Springboard Music Podcast. If there's something that resonated with you in this episode or an episode that you would like for us to create in the future, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at Springboard Music on Instagram.